Welcome to the Writer Experience Podcast. I'm your host, Court Dunn. Join us as we talk to writers about their work, their process, and what it means to be a writer. Welcome to the Writer Experience Podcast. Today's guest is Dom Monahan. Dom is a writer of poetry, an actor known for the Lord of the Rings trilogy, Lost, X-Men Origins, Wolverine, and the upcoming Star Wars Episode Nine. He's also the host of Wild Things with Dominic Monaghan. Dom, welcome to the show. Hey, guys. Thanks a lot. I feel very welcome. It's nice, to, uh, it's nice to spend time with you guys. Thank you for joining us. My first question is always the same, and that question is, where are you in the world right now? I am currently in Los Angeles, where I have a place. You know, as an actor, it's kind of important to base yourself in L.A., especially if you're invested in the film industry. I'm from England, Manchester, the north of England. I was just back there for Christmas, and I was in London finishing off Star Wars just before Christmas. So, yeah, I find myself in the northeast Hollywood Hills talking to you guys, and in a couple of hours there's a big Manchester United game, which is a big deal for me, and then I have to run around town doing kind of chores-type stuff. You know, it's kind of fun. Like, I think it's funny to me, and I guess it's funny to people when I explain it, but sometimes when I tell people what my day looks like, People are like, oh, you do that? That's weird. I'm like, yeah, of course I go grocery shopping. Of course I go to the dry cleaners. Of course I go to Target. Like, what do you think? Like, those things just magically arrive in my house type thing? But sometimes people are like, oh, that's really weird. I saw you in Ralph's. I'm like, well, yeah, people got to eat, right? You got to buy fruit from someone. <laughs> right. And do you have like an assistant or someone who kind of manages your day-to-day, you know, balance of things? Or You know, over the years, I have had assistants when I was lucky enough to be working on Wild Things. It was a pretty hectic schedule. So I would basically go away for probably, you know, 16 to 18 days. And then I would come back and I would have sometimes a week, sometimes less than a week, maybe 10 days to, you know, wash all my clothes, uh, make sure that all my mosquito bites are healing correctly, you know, get back to like eating the stuff that I want to eat. And then suddenly I'd be on the road again. At that particular point in my life, I did have an assistant because there was no other way that I could, you know, hit the ground running and take all these meetings and see people. So my lovely assistant would take care of stuff. But now at the point where I'm at, where I'm not traveling as much with wild things, you know, if I had an assistant doing all those things, I would basically be sitting at my house after going to the gym, you know, playing PlayStation and (laughs) watching movies. And I can do that anyway. So, you know, I like to stay busy. I had previously described who you are, what you do, especially if anyone follows you on Instagram. You do a lot of things, including write poetry. Would you mind telling us in your own words how you kind of describe yourself and explain maybe where the writing fits in? Are you a writer first? Are you an actor first? Are you equal parts? Are you other things? Yeah, I think we as humans are always other things, right? But I think it's important on social media, especially if you have anything like a following, to kind of understand the brand I can't think of a better word to choose there, but the things that represent you very clearly, and then for the most part, stick with those things. So I think I've probably established myself over the years with the amazing people that choose to follow me on social media as someone who's relatively positive, relatively fun and funny. I travel. I try and inspire people to fall in love with their world, whether their world is you know, Kosovo or Manchester or Sydney, Australia or Paris. There are so many amazing things 
just in your kitchen or in your bathroom or in your garden. And I think I'm a big fan of inspiring people to get out of their own way. You know, I think a lot of times we think, well, I don't have anything to do today and I'm going through a breakup and, you know, things can be looked at as shitty and that's definitely true. But also there is amazing things to be experienced by connecting with a plant or a flower or a t-shirt that you have found in the back of your wardrobe that you've not seen for a while. So I think that's one of the things that I've established on social media. And then the other thing is the reality of life, which is that there's struggle and sometimes it's tough and sometimes it's difficult and it's important to be able to look around and say, it's not just me. So a lot of times I'll do questions and answers type thing, you know, how's everyone doing? How's everyone's Monday? How's everyone feeling? That type of thing. And I like to try and join the dots of someone saying, my Monday's not great and I'm having anxiety. And I put that up there because hopefully that isn't just one person. That might be 30 people. And, you know, I can say, oh, sometimes I feel anxious on a Monday too. Sometimes my Monday's fantastic. Hopefully you're doing the right things and fingers crossed your Tuesday gets a little better, you know. So those are the things that I represent myself on in social media. And then in terms of writing, it's kind of the same. I mean, I've, I've always loved poetry, uh, you know, studied at school, Seamus Heaney, Robert Frost, Rambo, people like that. And I, and I always liked those people. And then I think in college was probably where it really got serious. So I was about 16, 17. There was a guy in my college year called Edwin Tubb, who was a big fan of The Doors. I was a big fan of The Beatles. He would write very long poems, you know, eight, nine, ten page poems and give them to me. And my thing to inspire him in the same way that he was inspiring me was I was a huge fan of simmering everything down, simmering it down to its base level. Can you take out an and? Can you take out a the? Can you take out a so? Whereas he would want to get lyrical and, you know, kind of, be a little bit more expansive with his writing. So he inspired me in that way. And hopefully I inspired him in the same way. Then I'll sometimes go through exercises. You know, I have, I wrote about 40 poems that all had the same stance and structure, which was a verse and then the word love and then a second verse and then the word love twice. And what I was doing there was exploring the themes of love. So it could be love seen through an ex-girlfriend, love seen through the eyes of a parent, love seen through a storm in the middle of an ocean, love as an entity. So love actually presents itself in someone's bedroom and says, hi, you have been sleeping. My name is love. It's nice to meet you. (laughs) So I wanted to look at it in different ways because I guess love is one of the biggest things that we write about in poetry. And I thought, well, what if we have a look at love in so many different forms? So I'll do that. And then other times it'll be like, I want to write a love story from the angle of two foxes, or I want to look at heartbreak from the angle of a bunch of flowers that are sitting in a bedroom watching two people having an argument, you know? So I'm I'm always looking at it at different angles. You said you like to inspire people. We usually frame our episodes around specific themes. We haven't done an episode about poetry. We'd love for you to kind of school us specifically kind of on the nuts and bolts of your process. Are you cool with walking through those with us? Yeah, for sure. You know, I'm relatively instinctual and instinctive, (laughs) so I kind of let things be what they're going to be. I think one of the examples of how I write is something will just show up. So I'll be just going about my day and a line will just show up. You know, it'll just 
present itself in maybe a meditation that I've had or maybe just in a thought, you know. So I was in Thailand over Christmas and found myself on this beautiful lake and I was kayaking and, you know, kind of shut my eyes and meditated for eight to ten minutes. And in that meditation, as I came out of it, this kind of statement presented itself, which said, I appreciate this life experience. I appreciate this experience of life. And it was kind of like a mantra that just kind of showed up. So then I spent a few days thinking about that. Why did it show up? What was that about? And from there, kind of, you know, wrote a verse which was, you know, not taking life for granted. So sometimes it shows up like that. I obviously watch movies a lot. I watch television a lot. I listen to music a lot. And those things can inspire me too. And then I think probably a lot of poets have the same thing. And it's true for me as well, which is that there will be certain lines that will always show up in my writing and I don't reject them just because I've heard them before. I just feel like maybe that's a theme of who I am. Like one of the things that shows up a lot in my writing is soaked in paint because I paint a lot. And a lot of times when I paint, I find myself in a zone which is very free form. I feel like I'm in the right flow artistically. So if I'm painting within those couple of hours of painting, very often I'll find myself able to write a poem or able to sing a song or able to think of something artistic. So soaked in paint or dipped in electricity, I find shows up in my writing all the time. And I'm fine with that. It's one of, I guess, without wanting to sound too pretentious, it's, mm-hmm. it's a little bit of a trademark of mine, you know? So you mentioned where sometimes you kind of get these ideas for your poems. What about the motivation itself? Would you say that poetry, is it more about communicating a feeling to others? Is it the reward of creating? Is it therapeutic for you? What's going through your mind when you're like, I need to get these words on the paper? Yeah, I think all of those comments are very valid. I think first and foremost, is there's kind of a slight feeling of exorcism, you know, well, let's have this thing be born. And instead of living in my system without me being able to understand it, I can kind of look at it on paper. I mean, there's a very practical element to that. I know that if I'm having a very busy week, just in terms of jobs and chores that I have to do, one of the first things that I do is write everything in my phone in a list form so that instead of feeling messy and disorganized in my brain, it can actually be on my phone so that I can look at it and tick things off. And I think there's a little bit of that when I write a poem of, okay, I'm having a slightly confused or overwhelming set of feelings. So if I get them out, then maybe I'll understand it better. From there, obviously, I think if I could ever be in a situation where I could set someone else free from what they're experiencing, then that's a huge privilege. You know, I've been lucky enough over the years to have people say to me, you know, that poem really hit me on the right day and turned around my day or turned around the experience that I was having or that poem meant a lot because, you know, I'm going through these things in my life. So there's that too. But there is also an aspect of once it's written and certainly once it's out in social media because I'm savvy enough to know what social media is all about, then it's not really mine anymore. It's someone else's to do it with. And that's fine if someone wants to repackage it and send it to their friends or, you know, think about it in a different way or get inspired and write another poem. That's fine too. Now, would you be okay with us reading some of your poetry? Warning, I'm not a professional poetry reader. Yeah, for sure. I'll I'll do do my best. 
Now, do these have titles aside from them, or are they titleless? Uh, how do you go about Some of the, them okay. do, some okay. of them don't. I get very unterritorial about <laughs> titles because I feel like maybe someone can title it themselves and it can be something that means something to them. Some of them do, but when you read it, I'll be able to know if it has a title or not. You know. All right, here we go. We'll start with the first. Uh, this is the first poem we found on your Instagram that kind of kicked this off, that gave us this idea. Maybe we could talk to Dom and, you know, talk to him about his process. You have toiled savagely, relentlessly for millions of years through all your lives to get here. No is not an option. Yeah. So that is, I've also been lucky enough over the years through meditation and through ingesting certain plant medicines to be able to access, you know, different experiences, different knowledge. Whether it's accurate or not, it's been useful to me over my life. And what's been made clear to me is that we have this existence, this human existence, which we're very partial to because, you know, we're feeling it and it's very difficult to get out of our own way in, in our own experience. But there is also an underlying message that we may not have been human before, but that this set of things that has come together to create this energetic field that we call human has also at some points become or being soil or being a tree or being a praying mantis. It's not a praying mantis walking around going, oh, I'm Dom the praying mantis and then in 20 years I'll be Dom the human. It's a praying mantis that is just adopting some of the energetic field that I do too. So if that's the case and I follow through with those things, that if some of my energy has at one point over the years been a rock, a tree, a planet, a piece of dust, a dog hair, a praying mantis, and has now collapsed into this place where I'm a human and I'm having these experiences. The miracle of all of those things connected in the right way, let alone the miracle of, you know, my particular spermazota being the one that cracks through the egg and becomes dumb. If all of those things have happened, then in this particular existence, how are you going to let people say no to you? Because it's a miracle that you're even here being able to put yourself in a place where people can say no. So the fact that you'll go, oh, they said no, and I'm just going to give up. We don't give up. This is it. This is our life now. So don't take no for an answer. I very rarely take no for an answer. I always say to my agent, I'll take a maybe, and I'll be satisfied with that. But if someone says no, then I get kind of feisty, like, oh, okay, well, let's explore why you said no to me. You know. Next poem. Now, I don't know whether the title of this one is Aya, A-Y-A, or is that... Uh, and that's the title. That's Aya, the title. Yeah. Okay, cool. You have reduced me to my breath, memoryless, to gaze transfixed at a sacred flower, so that I may reform, leaving behind myths, carrying only what serves. Yeah. So that's by ayahuasca. That's why it's called Aya. Ayahuasca oh. is a very significant plant medicine from the jungles of the Amazon. Not for everyone. I will say at this point that ingesting plant medicines is something that you need to have a strong will for and you need to make your own decisions. Some people are probably never supposed to expose themselves to plant medicines and some people, it can really turn their life around, do amazing things for them. I was lucky enough to ingest ayahuasca probably six or seven years ago now. And the more that you have an experience with that plant, the more that you realize her whole kind of job with you is to do the thing that a lot of times I'm trying to do in a poem, which is reduce everything down to its base 
dynamic feeling, what I'm trying to communicate, you know. So ayahuasca tends to put you in a place of pure simplification. And then as you explore some of these things in your life that you do, like, you know, is that, do you think that's worthwhile that you hang out with that person? They don't really do anything for you. Do you think that's a good idea that you feel this way, that you hang on to these hangups or, or these insecurities? And ultimately, you know, just puts a big mirror in front of you and asks you to explore the things that are not serving you. So I wrote that specifically about ayahuasca. And then when I have read it back over, you know, the months and years after I've written it, I realized that it's also saying a little bit about the way that I write, which is get rid of all the fluff, get rid of all the nonsense and the, you know, flowery language and just get down on the paper, on the page, exactly what you want to say. I'm sure, I mean, you guys have had a look at some of my writing. I don't tend to write any poems that are longer than maybe two pages, maybe a page and a half, because, you know, Viggo Mortensen's a big pal of mine, and he's someone who I look up to in terms of his poetry. And when we were in New Zealand, we swapped a bunch of poems with each other just to kind of, you know, have a look at them and see what we thought. And his notes to me was, you don't need this. You don't need this and, you don't need this but, you don't need this so. And it's been very inspirational over the years to continue on with that exercise of write something, edit, 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 edit. When you had that experience, was there anything specifically you remember that you removed or you changed that made a positive impact in your life? Well, I mean, I think our journey over the years as humans tends to move us away from, you know, pointless stuff that doesn't serve us, like ayahuasca is talking about. Like, I don't know, gossip or hearsay or meanness or rumors or, you know, negative conversations. I mean, you know, I guess in my teens and in my 20s, not that I was the most engaged in gossip or rumor, but I was probably a little bit more engaged in, ooh, did you hear that that happened? Or, you know, can you believe this and that about this person? Whereas now, I, you know, I really edit that. Is that worthwhile? Is that helping me? Is that helping that person? What, how am I getting to those places? So I think that's the journey of maybe maturity over the years is just, like I said, like it's the do no harm thing. Like, and that's, that's not just physical, but it's also how you, how you speak, how you represent yourself. Are the things that you're saying helpful for your experience and for other people's. And if it's not, then just shut up. You know, it's fine to have those thoughts. We're all human. We're all going to think, you know, that person's an idiot or I don't like that person. That's okay. You can't stop the thoughts in your head, but you can stop the thoughts in your head coming out and being born into other people's experience. Next poem. What if writers were just books written by better writers? <laughs> <laughs> That's just a mind bender for me. So I don't even know if that's easy for people <laughs> to wrap their head around. But essentially, I was sat at home one night. I must have been thinking about either books or authors or both of those things at the same time. And I thought, okay, so if we take, let's say, the world's greatest authors, as an example, you know, Ernest Hemingway, Sylvia Plath, and Charles Dickens. Let's just say that those three people are seen to be some of the greatest authors of all time. What if... Some of the authors that are not quite as brilliant as those guys were actually just books written by those guys. So let's say Sylvia Plath actually wrote everything about Brett Easton Ellis. She wrote the person. She wrote the guy. She wrote the fact that he wrote American Psycho. She also wrote American Psycho. She wrote Less Than Zero. What if Charles Dickens wrote 
all of Ernest Klein stuff. He wrote Ready Player One. He wrote Artemis, you know, and I just thought, oh, that's such an interesting concept that what you get is this kind of hierarchy of the world's greatest writers. And they're so good that, yes, they write Oliver Twist and, yes, they write Great Expectations, but they also write The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe and The Silver Chair, you know, and it's just kind of probably one of those, like, slightly stonery moments. I'm sure maybe I had, you know, eaten a little <laughs> space cake or, you know, had a couple of drinks or whatever, and I just sat there and thought, wow, that's, that's a mind bender, you know. Like I said earlier on, I'm a big fan of John Lennon. I'm a big fan of The Beatles. And uh, there's a moment in Help, in the movie Help, where they're in the studio, and something happens, and John Lennon, you know, exclaims back, oh, a mind bender. And I just like those concepts sometimes, where you can sit on a train, and if you've forgotten your book or you've forgotten your phone, you can just sit and just fool around with a concept of, you know, what if writers were just books written by better writers? Which book would you be? Um, man, uh, I have a little edge to me and a little sense of humor. I mean, in the last few years, I've really enjoyed Ready Player One. I thought that was really good. I think American Psycho is a, is a work of a brilliant mind. Lord of the Rings is extraordinary. You know what book I'd actually be? Because this kind of represents some of the things that I wanted to do in my life and the writing's really fun. Is I might be The Beach by Alex Garland. You know, it's a great book. It's a real roller coaster. It's full of color and, and adventure and, and fun and travel. And uh, that kind of represents me quite well. Moving on to the next poem. When you are a ship barely seen through a storm, crested beasts pulling your whole horizon into focus, I have come for you to take your world. Love, when all that's left is scattered jumble, strewn flotsam, pecked at by feathered beasts, dragged under by some dark thing. Love, love. Beautifully read. So uh, that was, uh, so this is one of the exercises. And like I said earlier on, I've probably got about 40 or 50 poems with that particular style. So a verse, the word love, a verse, the word love. So in this one, in this particular poem, I'm exploring the idea of love as an ocean scene. You know, what if we are able to look at love in more of an obtuse way instead of it being a feeling? In our emotion, what if it's actually represented in, you know, a scene drawn by a painter or a scene that you see out of the ship window? So this idea of, you know, love being this tumultuous storm, this slightly foreboding storm that is a bit scary, that is a bit overwhelming, that clearly at any given point in that time can drag us under and drown us. You know, I've been in situations in my love life where I felt like I've, I've been overwhelmed. I felt like I've been drowning. I've, I've behaved in ways that I'm probably not proud of and I didn't know that I was capable of those things. So I think the storm idea, you know, obviously storms are full of charisma and, you know, we, I guess sometimes as kids we think, ooh, like storms are great and it's exciting to be around. But if you ask any sailor about a storm, you know, they say, well, that can be one of those things that we don't come back from. So we don't feel the same way about it. And, you know, for some people, and sometimes for me in my life, love has been that thing as well. You know, it's been, it's been a little scary. It's been a little hard for me to uh, navigate that storm. So I think I wanted to, uh, to have it be represented in that way. Hey, everyone. 
we just wanted to take a quick second to thank you, our listeners, for your continued support. The Writer Experience Podcast has been self-funded from the beginning. So whether you're an aspiring writer who has taken inspiration from the podcast or just enjoy hearing from professional writers, please donate to our Patreon at patreon.com slash writer experience. You can also go to our website, writerexperience.com, and click the Patreon button. Thank you again. We really appreciate your support. And now, back to the show. Next poem. For anyone struggling over this festive period with loneliness or missing loved ones, know this, we are all one. Our gatherings and time spent with each other pours out into the world and is for you as much as anyone. We are all one. Yeah, so I mean, that's probably more, I mean, obviously it's, it's a poem, it was, it was written in, in verse and, and it's supposed to be read in, in those kind of ways. But more than anything else, that was more just kind of a bit of a, a call out to lonely people over Christmas. You know, I was lucky enough to um, go away with my friends to Thailand for Christmas and we had a fantastic time and, you know, I felt very loved and I felt very nurtured and, and all that kind of stuff. And there was just a couple of moments where I thought, well, I'm lucky and maybe some people are not quite as lucky as me. And I think it's worthwhile just to say to people like, hey, if you feel like maybe you're alone or maybe it's a tough time for you and you're struggling, like, I think it's worthwhile to say, I love you. You know, that's easy for me to say and it's easy for me to show love to people that I don't know. And if that helps you on a cold night where you're in on your own, over the Christmas period watching a movie and you're a little down, like, of course I love you. Of course I'm going to send you love. Like, that's the least I can do, you know? I think I'm just going to read one more poem before we, because I still want to talk a little bit more about process and that kind of thing. Sure. Um, the last poem is Salvia. I pour out of the stadium, vibrating into passing cars, my eyes set to strobe, mind giggles in just time. I am dipped in electricity, soaked in paint. Salvia, Salvia. Yeah, so that's a true story. You know, sometimes I write short stories, and that's kind of as short a story as it gets. I've written, you know, kind of short stories that are four or five pages, you know, 10 or 15 pages, something like that. But this one, Salvia, again, Salvia is a plant that you can ingest, and it has, you know, relatively strong psychotropic elements to it. And I went to the Yankees to see a baseball game. And at some point in that experience, which I found a little boring, I had the experience of ingesting some salvia. And I was with a friend and I said, the game was coming to an end. And I said, you know what, I'm going to step outside and I'll meet you by the car. I'll meet you in the car park. I know where the car is parked. And there was about, you know, five, ten minutes left of the game. So I left and, uh, you know, that particular salvia experience got a little stronger. So, you know, I did find myself kind of, having to navigate through traffic and it seemed like my whole experience was vibrating and the eyes set to stroke thing was was based around the fact that you know all the lights were just kind of flashing and dragging and dripping and strobing and that was you know an interesting experience and then it's interesting those two lines come up quite a lot dipped in electricity soaked in paint i think sometimes when i'm having these kind of 
fantastical experiences, you know, it does feel like my body is a bit more electrically charged and I'm a lot closer to painting or I feel like, you know, I'm in that headspace where I could be painting. I'm in flow with the universe. And then I just shout out Salvia at the end because I think it's important to give credit to where those amazing experiences come from. And it's just a plant, you know. I mean, I'm saying just in an ironic way. I mean, you know, plants are teachers, you know. They can be very smart. And I think we think that, you know, teachers in our lives are lecturers and books and seminars, and they can teach you stuff. But when you're around a strong, smart plant medicine, the teaching is uh, is a much accelerated rate, and I would argue a higher rate of learning as well. Back to process, I noticed that rhyme isn't heavily used. So is there a reason for that? Do you have a preference either way? What are your thoughts on rhyme? Yeah, I um every so often, like maybe one in 20 poems, I'll challenge myself to rhyme something just because I think, oh, I'd like this to be a little bit more sing-songy or I'd like it to be a little easier to ingest, so I'll, I'll put a little rhyme in it. I have to be honest, I find rhyme in poems to be a little cliche, to be a little rote to be a little forced. You know, like if I want to say, let's say for the sake of argument, I want to say, I still love you, but you broke my heart. And that's all I want to say in a poem. I find it affected and a bit over the top to be like, whatever, you know, you were a part of my heart and I love you and I'd like to shove you. Like, it just seems like I'm trying to cookie cutter fit in jigsaw pieces where it's not necessary. Also, the poets that I grew up with, I mean, Robert Frost every so often will rhyme things, but it's really not common. I don't think I've ever read a poem of Vigo's that rhymes. My favorite poet of all time is a guy called Robert Patton, and he's written children's books that rhyme because I think he wants people to have a way of learning it that's a little quicker and enjoying it a little easier. But all of his adult poems don't rhyme. So as a general rule, just me in general, I don't feel like poems need to rhyme to be a poem. Like, look, if I'm writing a song, that's totally different. I want people to be able to sing along with it. I I want it to rhyme. It has to have, you know, those kind of rhyming couplets. But a poem for me, if I'm asked, like, what is a poem? For me, it's like the poet is trying to explain in as clear a detail as possible how he or she is feeling. That's it. I reject the idea that it needs to rhyme. You're obviously using a few different poetry structures. How did you learn how to do that? Did you have formal training? Did you just learn from reading? Did you learn from others? Or did you just dive into it? Yeah, trial and error. You know, I mean, obviously, like anyone else, like any artist, the first couple of years or so is terrible. I mean, I am a big fan of the Beatles. I'm a big fan of Leonard Cohen big fan of Van Morrison and Simon and Garfunkel. I think the first poem that I ever wrote, I don't remember all of it, but I do remember I was going in and out of a relationship that ultimately was doomed. And I remember writing something in this poem about I'm a wolf in sheep's clothing. You know, like I'd I'd been hurt enough times by this girl and she thought that I was adorable and cute, but ultimately she didn't have the right read on me. And all of the poem was trash, apart from this one line about, you know, you don't know me, I'm a wolf in sheep's clothing. I thought, oh, okay, that's kind of cool. You kind of found something there. So maybe just finding one line in a poem is, is a way to do it. And I, I studied, 
you know, I got books of poems by Leonard Cohen. I got song books from Simon and Garfunkel and from the Beatles and worked out what it was they were trying to say. And there was a lot of rubbish, drunken poems in my mm-hmm. early life, you know, coming back from the pub and feeling all profound and, and artistic and writing absolute trash and then editing it. And ultimately, I think it just, instead of one line, it became three lines and then five lines and then 10 lines where I thought, okay, that's okay. And then I think meeting Vigo and, and spending a lot of time with Vigo in New Zealand was a big turning point for me because, you know, he had said, there's something in this, but you need to learn how to edit a lot you know, more succinctly, which I got into. And yeah, I, I mean, I, I obviously still read poems nowadays. And it's funny because the, the, the poems that I'm drawn to, which sounds very egomaniacal, but the poems that I'm drawn to are much more in the flavor of the stuff that I like. You know, I like short poems. I like poems that don't rhyme. I like poems that make me emotional, poems that make me cry, or poems that make me, you know, feel a heartburn. And those are the things that I aspire to. And what's the goal in the long term for your writing specifically? I know obviously you're really accomplished as an actor, and I'm sure that will continue. What's your plan for the writing itself? Like, what do you see in the future? What do we have to look forward to? I mean, I have a lot of people over the years on Instagram or Twitter say, you know, you should bring out a book. Why don't you bring out a book? You know, I really like your poems. You should bring out a book. And I mean, you know, I think there's something there, but you know, I'm someone that doesn't want to embarrass themselves and bring out a book and then show up at a signing and there's 12 people there who are interested in my poems. I mean, poetry in general is a little hard for people to ingest. And, you know, I think we could all aspire to this idea of like, yeah, I'm going to be this rock and roll poet and, I'm, you know, I'm going to be this this kind of Charles Bukowski type guy or, or um, Hunter S. Thompson, you know, that, that kind of vibe. But that's that's difficult to to try and achieve. I mean, I'm always going to be an artist. I mean, I'm always going to act, you know, I paint, I write, I, you know, I uh, do things in the artist field and I don't see that changing anytime soon. It would be great to be approached by an independent publisher who says, hey, listen, we've looked at your stuff too and we think there's something there and, you know, why don't we do a, a small release, nothing too crazy and, you know, just kind of roll it out. But the only way at the moment to do it would be probably to, privately fund it and if you do that which is fine then you know you want it to find an audience and at the moment my poems at the very least going out to you know a million people to have a look at and um that's okay for me right now that's the beauty of social media is you know you can write something edit it wake up in the morning look at it think that you still like it and then you can put it out to the world so uh, i think that's one of the great things about the internet and a last question before we go into something we call a series of seemingly random questions, which we usually end with, is a question I like to ask for our listeners who specifically are often curious about the process of breaking into the industry or getting their foot in the door. Is there one piece of advice or learning from your career that you would like to pass on? Is there one thing that comes to mind? You know, you have to really want it. Like, I think we hear about the loud stories about actors we hear about the george clooney's and the brad pitts and the tom cruises that you know they live in multi-million dollar houses and they marry beautiful women and you know they do amazing jobs and travel the world and that's great but that that's not the main story that's just the loud story the main story about actors is one of toil and unemployment and not a huge amount of work and struggle and strife and you have to really want it you know it comes at a great cost to relationships in your life whether that's your parents or your siblings. 
siblings or your partner. It really is an overwhelming job. So on a Monday, you might not have a job. And on a Wednesday, you're flying to New Zealand for two years. I mean, that literally happened to me. You have to just be selfish and make selfish decisions. And obviously that can cause, you know, minor tremors through your existence, you know. So I think I give talks quite a lot in schools and universities and you know, I just, I try and break the myth of what it means to be an actor. I mean, maybe people look at me and go, oh, he's that guy from Lord of the Rings. His life must be amazing. And my life is amazing, but, you know, I still get toothache. I still have to go down to the grocery store and, you know, buy fruit that rots in my fridge. And I still have good days and bad days. And I think people think nowadays there's this strange thing about fame that, you know, if you're famous, everything's fine. But that's really not the case for a lot of people. And in terms of specifically being an actor, you uh, you need to explore that craft. You know, you need to explore the people who you admire. If you're a big fan of Tilda Swinton or you're a big fan of De Niro or, or Ryan Gosling or Glenn Close, watch that actor. How are they doing that thing? What's their style? Why are they good at it? Study, study, study. If you're at school, ask your teacher to put on a play. If they won't put on a play, find a local youth theater. Join that. Make the mistakes while you're young so that when you're 18, you don't need to be making those mistakes. And just just get good at it. You know, I mean, the reason why Picasso is Picasso is because he's a profound artist. It's the same for any artist that's at the top of their game. I mean, I mean, sure, DiCaprio's a good-looking guy and, you know, he's got all his features in the right place. He's also a fantastic actor. That's the reason that he's at the top of his game. That's the same for any poet, any painter, any writer, any teacher, you know, if you're at the best school in the world and you're teaching science, it's probably because you're the best science teacher in the world or certainly one of them. So work out what you want to do and just attack it. And now it's time for a series of seemingly random questions. Are you ready? Yeah, let's do it. Number one, in your Twitter bio, you list your location as, quote, in transit. Mind explaining what that means? Yeah, I spend a lot of time in the airport, so a lot of times that is called in transit. You know, uh-huh. like if I'm in touch with someone and they say, where are you? So oh, I'm in transit right now. I'm in Hong Kong or, you know, I'm in China or I'm in Paris trying to fly to Germany. So I just thought it was interesting to, um, to have that be my location since my location is relatively fluid. Question number two, if you could take any writer, living or dead, to any fast food restaurant, which writer, which restaurant, and why? Um, well, hopefully he'd have a good personality. I wonder if our personalities would mesh because he comes from a different generation and he's a bit of a kind of grandfatherly type. But I, I would like to sit down and have dinner with J.R.R. Tolkien because uh, The Lord of the Rings means a lot to me and I think it's a profound piece of writing and stunning achievement. And if he was willing to go for dinner with me, then I'd make it as long as possible. So we'd probably go, I don't know, somewhere like the Savoy in London and sit and have a six or seven course meal and keep him at the table for two or three hours, maybe get a few brandies inside him and loosen him up and just (laughs) ask him about his process. Love it. Question number three. You are always communicating, as you said, with your fans on Instagram. You're inspiring people. You even agreed to do a podcast with us. As a celebrity, you don't have to do those kind of things, but you do. So what is it about you specifically that makes you so down-to-earth and humble? Well, I mean, I don't necessarily consider myself that humble. I just think, you know, I'm just 
doing what other people would do. That's just a normal way to do things. And as I've said to you a few times in this podcast experience, you know, I'm very inspired by breaking those myths for people of, you know, what you think is, you know, how my life is or how an actor's life is, is not necessarily the case, you know, and also one of inclusion, you know, over the years on social media, you know, I've had people reach out to me when they've had bad days or when they're having a bad time in their life. And, you know, it's the least you can do is just kind of engage with those people. You know, even that, even if that's just saying, I'm really sorry you're having a bad time, you know, I hope that, you know, me recognizing you and, and seeing you today puts you in a place of being able to handle your experience a little bit better. I mean, seriously, that is literally the least you can do. I mean, you know, I mean, I guess you could ignore them, which is, which is uh, less, but, you know, it doesn't take a huge amount for me to just say, hey, I see you, you know, I have bad days too, and it's okay. I mean, I think, I think we're, we're almost like allergic or, or terrified of this idea of having a bad time in our life, you know I mean? Your life can't always be happy. If your life was always happy, you'd have no concept of happiness, you know, because it would always be like that. So sometimes I just say to people, look, I have a bad day as well. Like, you know, my day was a little lame and I missed someone or I wanted to see my parents or my brother. And, you know, it's okay to feel those things, feel them completely and say, wow, I'm actually having a bit of a rough time right now. Have the experience of feeling them completely. Give yourself an hour or 45 minutes, half an hour. And then say to yourself, once I've had that 45-minute experience, then I'm going to challenge myself to get up and go out, go for a walk, go see friends, you know. Feel it absolutely, and then move on to the next thing and feel that absolutely as well. Question number four of five. What's one thing about your life or career that nobody knows? Um, well, again, the myth-busting thing is kind of key. I think a lot of times... People assume like, oh, God, you know, your life must be amazing. You know, you were in The Lord of the Rings and now you're in Star Wars. Like, you basically just must, like, eat at restaurants for free, get your clothes for free, you know, meet DiCaprio for dinner and, you know, hang out with Martin Scorsese for lunch and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, that's just not true. I mean, I still have to hit the pavement. I still have to make shrewd decisions on what I'm going to do with my career. And um, I'm still always about one or two jobs away from being irrelevant. I think a lot of people think, oh, like, you've got it made. That's it. You've, you've got it made. You, you've nailed it. Life is sweet. But life is a series of challenges that you have to be up for. And it would be very boring if you didn't have those things, you know. The last question, and this might be the most important, so brace yourself. Did you have fun today? Yeah, man, that's super fun. You know, I've never done a podcast specifically about my writing or, or, you know, poetry in general, you know, I mean, my friends know that I write stuff and people that follow me on social media, I guess, know that I write stuff. But every so often in interviews, they might ask me something about my writing, but really it's a little throwaway. They're like, oh yeah, you're a poet as well. And that's it, you know. So it's great to be able to talk about it. And I think, you know, one of the other things is there's a lot of like hangups that people have about their writing or about writing in general. And, you know, you just need to do it. You know, there's no magic bean that you need to eat so that you suddenly become a poet. And there's no magic formula. You know, I mean, it, writing is about writing. You know, it's just like, just do it. And if at first it's rubbish, that's great. And if it's always rubbish, 
then that's great too, you know, just write if you feel like you need to write. We said at the start of this podcast, there's a feeling of exorcism. And if what you're writing is, you know, my heart is broken, my heart is broken, my heart is broken, that is an intellectual thing that you're getting out of your system and fingers crossed it'll be helpful for you. Well, we appreciate it, and we are always happy to talk to you about your writing. So please keep us updated on it, and maybe we can have you back on, whether it's a book of poetry. Uh, but that being said, thank you, man. Really, really, really appreciate you taking the time. Hey, you guys are totally welcome. That was really fun. And, and yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, I think maybe the best thing is, like, you know, obviously I follow you guys on, on social media, and you guys follow me, hopefully. And, you know, if in, if in a couple of years you kind of say, hey, there's been enough of your writing now that we're actually you know, inspired again to talk to you, then, then let's do it. I'd be more than happy to do that. Thank you again, man. Uh, like I said, hey, you're totally welcome. And we'll let you go enjoy your day, whether that's grocery shopping or doing something very glamorous. That's up for you. <laughs> <laughs> enjoy the uh, soccer game, and uh, we'll talk to you soon, man. Thanks again. Okay. Cheers, guys. See you later. And thank you to our listeners. We look forward to seeing you next week. Thank you so much for listening to The Writer Experience. If you enjoyed the episode today, please leave a rating, a review, and a comment on iTunes. You can also check us out on Instagram at Writer Experience and Twitter and Facebook at Writer EXP. The Writer Experience is a Samurai Dinosaur production. Copyright 2019. All rights reserved. Music by Kevin McLeod.